This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, guys, we are leading into deer season. Finally, before this thing all kicks off, this is episode 2010. This is your boy, East Coast Trev, and I'm joined- Two, oh, crap. 210. And I'm joined. I'm just excited, <laughs> man. There's a lot of excitement there. This is your boy, East Coast Trev, and I'm joined by a good buddy, Mr. Asshole Madman. You Mark. already know. <laughs> what up? Oh, dude. Jesus, this, you are a mess. Yeah, well, you know what, man? I'm just getting excited. Um, This is actually our last Hunt Stock podcast. Um, The last one that we had recorded up in uh, Westminster, Massachusetts, at Huntstock at the Wildwood Farm. Um, I wish we did a bunch more, but we did four from there, and they were all great episodes. There was Shiloh with Shotner Stuff. There was Backwoods Sense, um, Backyard, Backyard Sense, uh, Austin, which is from the Big Woods Bucks here. And what was the last one that we recorded there? I'm missing one, no? Uh, Primitive Patriot. Primitive Patriot, that's right. Josh from Primitive Patriot, who's actually out uh, he's hunting. actually elk hunting right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so some great podcasts, some great people that we learned that we met from there. Uh, learned a ton while we were there w- from all of these guys. It was great to have them on. Um, so this is the last one. We had a good podcast with Austin, um, and it's it's just good. It's, it's something a little bit different. I know it's a little bit early in the season, but we want to get you guys kind of on the track of. Oh wow, that was good there. Tracking on the track of just thinking about, you know, snow season and all that good stuff. Austin's a real good dude. He's part of the Big Woods Bucks crew and uh it was super good. So, Steve, are you ready for season, man? I am beyond ready. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm I'm shooting about shooting about 120 arrows a day right now. Bow is fucking dialed in, baby. That's good. Um starting to the pack together you know i got some new gear um this year as far as uh you know new camera arm mm-hmm. uh new platform from latitude so just kind of dialing in how i'm gonna pack everything and you know everything in my pack has has its home right like everything goes in the same place every time i go to hunt and it's just kind of tweaking things and figuring out what's gonna go where and what makes the most sense and and all that stuff so by the time the season opens i will be a finely tuned machine yeah i uh i am completely and utterly opposite of you i i <laughs> messed with my camera arm i got a new uh a new camera with screen microphone i went all out i got a absolutely 
pristine camera super excited was able to mess around with that um i gotta wash all my camo still i have one preset uh for the season and one camera in the woods that is not like me there's still 11 of them in a box i'm sorry there's 11 more cameras that could potentially go out some of them are still out i'm still waiting for writing yeah they're soaking i'm right still writing my article on soaking cameras scent free soaking cameras um but no um, it's like an easter egg hunt like you're gonna be like mobile hunting and you're gonna be like oh shit there's a camera oh wait that's mine <laughs> well that's the thing like i just some of them i don't even know where they are anymore <laughs> and if they're missing they're missing it is what it is i donated them to the woods but it's all good. It is what it is, man. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it it's gonna be it'll be a real good season. I think it's shaping up to be a good season. A little bit of fun, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, so it it's super good on the fishing side. Uh, something I can probably talk about a little bit better. Um, <laughs> the uh, the fishing's phenomenal. The albies are around. Uh, we got a couple the other day. Uh, so that's pretty cool. The false albacore, the tunies. Um, they are around. So that was kind of cool. Some real big bass were pushing back into the Connecticut river. Um, so the fall run starting to kick off. I was sea bass fishing today. So that's kind of cool. And just kind of things are starting to flow. You know, when the stripers start to die off and the fall fishing and there's birds busting and there's peanut bunker and things like that are kind of starting to get kicking that it's time that the rut is that much closer like the fall the leaves are changing cooler it didn't feel like it today it was like 105 index but Ooh. it was <laughs> but i know gross. that the fall is turning dude i know it's so gross you see the temps for next week though yeah so you after this, saturday you got this little heat heat wave and then it's like high 60s yeah. it's gonna i'm hoping that it stays like hoodies, that right? i know i'm hoping dude i know the shelton hoodies are going to be kicking uh for for a season you know i was kind of nervous it, it looks like it's the 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 temperature drop's gonna hold through opening day and opening weekend um i mean you can't complain it's just a little early it's like four the temp's gonna drop like four days before the season opens but the good news is it's gonna stay down through the opener so yep. do you remember years past you were in like shorts and uh and a in a you know a string bikini when you were up in the tree stand because it was so darn hot I can remember it being 80 in the first week of November, so I don't even want to talk about that. But Yeah, I hope that um, it stays true and that we have a, a nice, cool opener here for everybody so that they can all enjoy it. I'm hoping it looks like I'm going to be able to hunt on Sunday, um, the first Sunday on private land. Uh, I'm, I don't have any trips, so I'm excited about that. I won't be able to get out nice. the opener, but I'll be able to get out on the 17th. So I'm I'm excited for that. I think it'll be kind of cool. I'm telling you this much. I hope nothing four-legged brown with <laughs> walks by because it's getting it this year. It's definitely getting it this year. But um, first off, let's hunt. Let's uh, let's shout these guys out and let's get on over to Austin, man. I think that let's do it up. We'll, we'll think of cold. We were just talking hot. This is gonna cool us down. I promise. Um, <laughs> We are presented by and title sponsored by Huntworth Gear, HuntworthGear.com, the home of Get More for Less with Huntworth. Um, some really good stuff. Uh, guys, get on over to Huntworth Gear. There's always some type of sale percentage off that you guys can always get get some type of break. Uh, now's the time to get your Shelton hoodie. 
uh, and some of your really good early season clothing, now is the time to have it. It's almost right around the corner. If not, you know, step it up. Get the Elkin, you know, for that November morning. You know, there's some really good stuff in there. Heat Boost. They just came out with the Heat Boost sweater. That thing is huge. I cannot wait to get that thing on. Now is not the time for it, but... Late season will be the time for that sweater. Um, Norrisa Game Calls, NorrisaGameCalls.com. The grunt tubes, there is some still for sale on the website. You definitely going to want that come the end of October, early November. So going on over to NorrisaGameCalls.com. Latitude Outdoors, LatitudeOutdoors.com. The pre-order for more carbon sticks is out. There is X-Wings in stock, 8mm ropes, 10mm ropes, some really good stuff. Make sure to use your promo code Outdoor Drive. Save yourself 15%. I just kicked mine over. I needed some new ropes for the season, so I ordered a Same. set of uh, an 8mm and a 10mm. vapor. Yeah, so I ordered the I'm same. pumped. Me too, dude, especially to have new ropes. And I always change my ropes all the time. Um, just it, That's your lifeline, literally your lifeline. That's going to Make it or break it if you come home at night. So it's always great to spend that money on it, and we'll save you some with the uh, promo code Outdoor Drive. Uh, also, Bowhunters United, bowhuntersunited.com, dude, they are the advocates for you. Um, there is a free side now, so you guys can just get on over there, sign up. If you want to spend the 25 bucks, get a hat, some some uh, maybe a T-shirt, or whatever the case may be in their package for signing up for the $25 one, you get a little bit more, a month subscription to deer and deer hunting, so on and so forth. The link is below here in the podcast. But, guys, thank you very much. Make sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notification button, even on Spotify, iTunes, or on our YouTube page, so you guys don't miss out on anything that we got going on. A lot of hunting videos. We're dropping some more as they come in. Uh, some doe videos and the buck videos aren't going to be too far behind. So... Don't forget about the Facebook page, Facebook group. Yeah. Outdoor Drive. Yeah. It's getting to be that time. Make sure you share your kills with us. I'll shout you out personally on the Killer's Corner. Oh, yeah. We got to get the Killer's Corner back up and ripping, dude. Mm, maybe some tails on the tailgate, too, if you yeah, know what I'm saying. Yeah, time's the time. It's time to start turning her up. So all the good stuff is here to come um, in the next couple of weeks. So, well, man, what do you think, dude? Should we uh, kick it on over to Austin and get this show on the road? Yeah, let's stagger on over there. Let's stagger. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> let's go check him out. Drive Podcast. Welcome back. Yet another week here in the podcast. We are actually at Huntstock here in Westminster, Massachusetts. It's this is the second year, man. This is a good show. This is your boy East Coast Trev, and I'm obviously joined with my good buddy, Mr. Madman Marty. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, while we were here and uh, we were in the show, we, we decided we'd do a couple of podcasts. I mean, that's kind of what we do. So we bumped in the boys from the Big Boy Big Woods Bucks. Um, kind of strumming along and doing their thing. They always bring all kinds of hype to them. So we found one of the big boy, big bucks. I can't even talk right now. What is going How on? How many are of you are there? It's like every time you turn around, you just see another big wood bucks guy. Oh, I don't know. We probably 20 or so. So I figured, yeah. Maybe what, two dozen. What, what, what do you think the gain is by having such a big team? Like what is? Uh, diversity. Really? Yeah. Do I mean, we got older guys, younger guys, you know, women, 
all different ages, different backgrounds, different states, you know, different regions. We got guys from Jersey all the way to northern Maine. There's there's Big Woods Bucks in, in New Jersey? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, there's oh. some Big Woods down there. Um, we got guys like uh, Jason Del Plazo lives in Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, he's killed some, some monsters down there and himself, so. Absolutely. That's awesome. Why don't we turn this key, man? We'll get this thing underway. Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about what you do. So I, my name is Austin Sheeran. I am from, like, uh, the capital region of New York State. Uh, I grew up hunting farmland and hunting in the Adirondack Mountains. So we do a lot of big woods hunting. Um, I do some bow hunting, but mostly I prefer to be in the big woods, either still hunting or tracking, mm-hmm. preferably tracking if we have snow, but you know, we don't always get it. Um, outside of hunting, I do tree work for a living and, uh, I have a wife, I have a one-year-old and, uh, that's about it. Yeah. You know, my whole life is work, family, hunting, fishing. Absolutely, man. That's nothing better than that. So, are you, so you're a big time tracker, then? Obviously, I mean, that's when I, when I think of big woods bucks, I think of tracking. Obviously, like that's the the go to thing for most of the people on the team is is tracking. Yeah, a lot of guys, um, a lot of guys prefer different things, but tracking is the big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's definitely become the popular attraction because it's very aggressive in this in general. You know, right. It's an aggressive style of hunting. So when it comes down to it, that is the primary thing. But not everybody has enough snow during deer season to do it. Mm-hmm. So the farther south you go, the harder it is. Right. Um, like Massachusetts, you might not have snow till the end of the season. Adirondacks, we usually get it about mid-November is when it starts because we get lake effect in the, east, or in the west side yeah. from Tug Hill. Um, but we have quite a few followers from like Pennsylvania. And those guys pretty much all still hunt because they don't have the snow. Um, so the further south you go, the more still hunting you'll have. But tracking is the most popular thing for the general public. And and when you're still hunting, I mean, you're just you're virtually tracking without the snow then right i mean and, and the reason why we ask this we're not big trackers at all like <laughs> tracking is not like i mean when you say K- connecticut i mean we're mobile hunting public land ag fields if we can you know what i'm saying so like it's that style hunting so tracking is like one of those things that we don't do a ton of we might still hunt or if we're tracking we're going to track on a parcel that's 200 acres instead of in the adirondacks that's a hundred thousand acres right i mean like and you can virtually go wherever you get on that track and you're gone i guess right and yeah yep hey uh like the adirondack park is over six million acres of forever wild public land right so you have blocks of land that will hunt that's 50, 60,000 acres between roads. You know, you can walk for days. Um, and that is nice, but I look at, like, you know, Neil. He does a lot of, like, you know, bow hunting down here. And, like, mm-hmm. all the Massachusetts guys that do, like, you know, suburban bow hunting, that's crazy to me. Right. Like, I think of that, and I'm like, man, that sounds so difficult because, you know, access and then dealing with other people. Like, and that's the big thing with hunting up north in the big woods is you just – get away from everybody like i've never ran into somebody in the woods really yeah in maine it's you you might um there's more access Mm -hmm. more logging roads so you can you kind of go through a block of land hit a logging road and cross that and you know buck will take you all over but you know there's a little more access but in the adirondacks like i said you could have you know 15 20 miles between roads and it's a little more difficult to run into somebody because you can go into farther 
So when you're, but when you're going into this, like you just said, there's not a lot of access roads. And one of the things that like I, I guess, understand of tracking is like you get on those roads and you'll try and cut a track, right? But like, how do you do that in Adirondacks? Like, how do you narrow down your area of point of entry in those woods to be in the right place? So the thing with Maine as a whole is it's all logging. So you have different cuts. The deer, I feel, are more like dispersed and even little more i mean there's pockets where there isn't really much deer activity but in the adirondacks because forever wild um the deer aren't usually going to hang out in like open hardwoods they're going to kind of hang on the edge of the hardwoods and the green growth and in lowlands or up high and kind of come in and out of that a little bit and skate it so there's different things and features signpost rubs where you can like figure out generally where they might be so like me and my father we study a lot of maps we'll look at topographic maps and basically if you have like four good peaks that are around 2,000 feet and maybe a finger that comes down into a swamp in the middle of that you can run all through there and you'll catch a track and uh that's how we still hunt too so you know before the day starts we'll kind of look at a map and go all right well i'm gonna go and run this route through here and run around this mountain and through this swamp and I'm just going to try to always keep the wind in my advantage, either crosswind or in my face, and see if I can't just creep up on one or catch one moving, especially during the rut. Still hunting during the rut's fun because them bucks are, like, ricocheting off trees. They're everywhere. So that's you can turn the odds in your advantage a little bit, um, or else you could just be walking. Like, open hardwoods is great because you can see, but they usually don't hang out in there. Right. So you got to kind of, you know, it takes time and practice and, you know, experience to figure out where to look for them. So, so is, is like still hunting or track? Well, you're not really going to track during the rut, right? You're more or less going to still hunt because you're not really going to have snow in the Adirondacks. Yeah, our rut usually is about the first week of November till about Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there's snow, I'm tracking. Right. I don't care if there's, they're <laughs> rutting or not. I mean, they're going to they're gonna take you for a walk. Right. But... <laughs> A lot of the time, if you track them during the rut, there's a good chance you'll have another buck inter- intersect chasing a doe or scent checking or just on his run because he's distracted and he probably ain't paying attention very good. So, Have you ever had any like crazy occurrences while you're tracking during the – I mean, or still hunting during the rut or tracking during the rut where like something crazy like happened? Because I could only imagine like – because I know like still – I mean, not still hunting, but stand hunting, like you could virtually – as long as you're on – you know, certain runs or whatever, like anything could happen. But like still hunting, that's a whole nother level because now you have a ton of bucks and you're moving, they're moving. So there's got to be something that that you've had that was just like out of this world that would have happened. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 strange when they're chasing and they'll come like cruising right in front of you sometimes and you don't expect them. Like I was on a buck and I ended up killing them, but. I was running out of snow and like almost bare ground tracking him and uh I was making all sorts of noise and motion and I'm trying to figure out where he's going and I'm like I could tell he was moving pretty good by his you know stagger his stride and everything and I was like man he's he's probably lit out you know but I was right by the lake and he ended up coming doubling back on his track coming back out mm-hmm. and he walked six yards in front of me never even knew I was there had no idea no idea he was just and he wasn't walking slow he was just that was it. So it's just wild, you know. And that you, you brought up a real valid point. Like a lot of the times when, when you have like I know like stand hunting 
when you have a buck, a mature buck chasing a doe, nine times out of ten, they're going to come around. Like, you, you have that mindset in your mind when you're stand hunting. Like, if a big buck goes by and you don't get the shot and it's chasing that doe, there's a good chance in the next couple of minutes it might backtrack where that doe is going to come flying back by you. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's the thing with tracking, I would imagine, or still hunting, when you're when you're on a buck and it's, and it's after a doe, it might circle back so then you might meet head on. Yeah. Instead of like tracking in the snow late season, you know that that deer is going to continuously go on. You know what? Right? Yep. I mean, I mean, generally, if you if you have a buck and a doe together and you bump them both and they split, you can almost follow the doe mm-hmm. and bet money that that buck's going to come back to her track and chase her down again. Really? So you can kind of poke along on that, try to catch them coming back. Um, if you bump them, you know you can grunt at them or use a bleak can and. What they'll usually do is just out of sight, they'll circle downwind because they want to catch mm-hmm. your scent and know what you are if they haven't really got a good look at you. So what I'll do is I'll usually, like, grunt at him a couple times, and then I'll try to back out, and I'll sneak downwind and try to catch him coming downwind. It's mm-hmm. a, you play like a chess match. Right. And that's just, you know, experience and trial and error. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Right. Um, you know, you can do different things. Like, if you know he's going over this mountain, he's cutting around the edge he's going to go around the other side you can kind of run over the top and try to come down on him and it's you're playing a game and it's a little more active like i can't sit still right so like bow season i'll sit you know or sit in a saddle or whatever and i can do that for a little while but by the time rifle season hits i'm like all right we gotta get the legs moving you gotta get going yeah i mean have you tracked on a deer for for a extensive long period of time because like we were talking pre pre podcast and you're like 11 o'clock and like you start obviously in the morning so like you'll literally track a deer all day long until you get on that that deer yeah like there's um there's been days i i'm not usually when i'm tracking i'm not usually in the woods until at least light if not a little after i'm not in a huge rush because especially if you get fresh snow give the deer time to make tracks because you can get in there right as it turns light and blow through the woods and you might have a buck come through 15 minutes later Mm -hmm. across your track so you never know so i'm not in a huge rush in the morning but usually by eight o'clock i'm you know at least getting in the woods and uh i've gone right to dark and never caught a track never caught a track yeah i mean i've caught some small tracks but nothing big i have gone days where i haven't seen a single deer track really yeah you get like that first big snow of the year and they get freaked out, you know, for like a day or two, and they'll hunker down, and they just don't move because um, they're exposed, and they know it. Right. Is You know, when it's fall time and there's no snow, they can hide pretty well, but you get a good blanket of snow on everything, they stick out like a sore thumb, and wow. they know it. So they'll just lay down for a couple of days, then you kind of wait, yeah. and then you kind of try to get back on that track if you can, or yep. find a track in that area. Yeah, they'll get up, and they'll wander a little bit, but unless you blow right through where they're laying down, you're – you know, it's hard to get them. Um, but, yeah, I've had, like, especially during the rut, you know, you you can chase them all day and never catch them. Like, I've gone, going. Yeah, I've gone in in the morning, run around, catch a track, maybe 10 o'clock. And, like, you can just tell he's cruising. And, like, if he's cruising, I'm going to cruise. Right. And I'll chase him down all day and never catch him, never bump him, nothing. Have you ever come back the next morning and pick up the same track, or do you usually just try to cut a new track the next day? Um, usually I'll try to cut a new track. If I'm having a hard time finding a good track and uh, that's becoming a thing, then what I'll do is if I do finally get a good one, I'll track them until dark, and then you know I might come back the next day for them just because I know it's there. Right. 
um, especially late season because they don't go very far. They're tired. That's my favorite time to track them. Because they're just beat up and they don't continually go, go, go? They just want to bed down and feed. That's it. So, you know, if you get on a track, you can go really slow and just kind of be methodic and catch them. You made a good point there that I want to go back on. <clears throat> when you're, you can read that track as far as uh, what are you looking for when you can tell the speed of that animal. So you can tell when he's cruising and, that, and you know that you need to cruise too because if you go too fast and he's cruising, you're never going to catch him. But if you can read that track and you can tell maybe he's slowed down, like maybe he's not now he's feeding a little bit, that, then you know you now need to slow down to like kind of match that animal's speed. What are you looking for in the track to know when it's time to speed up and when it's time to slow down? All right. So, yeah, that's a good question. I So when I get a track, I cross the track. First thing I do is I look at, you know, the size of the hoof print, how far apart they are side to side and for the stagger of that's it. A yep. And then I look for the stride length. So, generally, on you know, you can have good rack bucks with small feet, especially in the Adirondacks. I've seen it, but generally, the hoof will be pretty big. And then, if the stride is really long, but it still has a pretty good stagger, then it's probably a good buck. He's just cruising. But if he's got a short stride and a big stagger, he's slower. You got to explain to the listeners what I know what it is, yeah. but I don't think anybody, a so lot of people, know what stagger means. Stagger is the distance between its right and left feet and then what that is is they have like bucks they're like men you know they have wider chests than women do and their back legs always go where their front feet go so the wider that their front legs are apart the bigger chest they have the older they are right. and that's what causes that's what the stagger is so if you have anywhere between eight to ten inches of stagger that's a big buck mm. and you can usually use a stick to draw a line on each side and you'll have a good gauge um, and then, so what I'll do is I'll follow it, not slow, but just kind of see what he's doing a little bit, go slow. And, um, when they're going like real straight line, you know, the strides real long, their stagger shrunk up a little bit, then they're just checking for does. They're just moving and you want to keep that pace with them or else you're never going to catch them because right. they might do, you know, 20 miles in a day, like cruising. Yeah. Just cruising. And those are the hard ones to catch. Um, but if you're following a buck and he's cruising pretty good and he makes like a sudden move right or left or does something weird, uh, maybe backtracks, you know, and then kind of wanders. And if he starts slow, like see a, the stride shorten up and you see the tracks kind of wandering a little bit more, just pay attention because you'll probably see where he's feeding. He'll either be pawing the ground or nipping at buds, eating mushrooms off trees. Once he starts feeding, he's going to lay down because mm. they have to. Deer have to lay down and chew their cud. And that's when you're getting close usually within when they start feeding usually they're within two three hundred yards bedded down or getting ready to bed down um now if it's an older track he might not be bedded anymore but he might be right you know and age in a track is the most common question and is the hardest one to explain um it uh you just have to look at if it's crusty powdery and see like what your boot track looks like compared to that buck track as far as like is it crusty? Is it powdery? Is it melted? Is it frozen? Yeah, and the edge is defined. Yep. Kinda, yeah. And you'll see where, like, when they step and they're, they lift their foot out, you get the little snowballs that fall on top. And it doesn't take long for them to freeze. Like, it, like the evaporation that naturally happens, they'll freeze back to the surface snow. So you can kind of mess with them a little bit. And if they move and they're real free, 
then you're probably right behind them, you know? Um, now, if it's like 34 degrees, it's a little harder because everything's kind of soft and mm -hmm. wet. But um, when it's crispy, you know, 32 or below, you basically can get a good idea. Um, and uh, Or like go walk through some puddles, you know, you see where it's froze or not froze. Or when they start dragging water out, you know, it might be, you just, you just start getting a feel for it. It's hard to explain. There's general things you can explain, and then the rest of it's just experience. You kind of just look at it, and you're like, okay, it's newer, it's not, you know. But that's kind of the gist of how I follow a buck. Is, is there, like, you know, like you hear all these stories and guys say how tough it is. Like, they, like there's a lot of people that go into the woods and try and track, but they, they're unsuccessful because of – is it just lack of experience or is it in learning all this? Cause it's not an easy thing to just grasp and hold on to and, and be successful. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with it is, um, overthinking. That's the biggest thing. You know, you get like a, uh, like an abundance of knowledge cause you read all the books, you watch all the videos, you go to all the seminars and there's mm -hmm. so much information coming at you. You're trying to catalog everything. And, what you really should do is, you know, to anybody that wants to get into tracking is, you know, read a book, watch a video, a couple of them. You know, it's, it's exciting to watch. Mm -hmm. Read them. You know, it's good. But take everything at face value. You know, you'll remember key things that are big. But get on a track, follow any track, and let it teach you. Because that's the best teacher in the world is a deer. That's the only way you're going to get good at it is experience and really learning from what you're seeing and not so much from what other people are saying. Right. You know, it's good to ask questions. You know, if you see something strange and you don't understand it, ask. You know, but you have to just go into it with an open, like an open-minded. So in it, in it itself, it's, it's just like, you know, guys that are trophy hunting or whatever to try and learn those deer to be put in the right spot, whether it's saddle hunting or stand hunting or whatever. Like, you're not going to just go in the woods and shoot – you know, for you guys, a 200-pound deer. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a – I mean, there's the luck part of it, but, like, to consistently kill deer on the track is just, like, consistently killing mature deer from the stand because of experience. Like, I know that this deer is going to do this on this wind in this place. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's kind of like that, I guess? Yeah, you play everything to your advantage, but the biggest thing is the track will tell you what you're following. You know, I mean, there are some variations. You can have, you know, big deer with – smaller racks you can have smaller looks like smaller feet smaller strides like and have giants mm -hmm. and it all depends on where you are too because like maine they're farther north so they have bigger body deer like that's why they have 200 pound is the goal where in the adirondacks i would say like a real nice buck is 180 pounds so the average deer like good buck size is smaller because they're not as far north they don't need the extra mass mm. um so when i go to maine I'm following tracks that are like a good sized doe because I'm used to a big buck track and the Adirondacks is much smaller. And a guy from Maine will come to the Adirondacks and be like, man, I can't find a good buck because right. he's looking for these giant deer that just don't, they, there's not, there are 200 pounders in the Adirondacks, but not many. So that's the biggest thing. Like the track will tell you what you're following. So some guys are pickier than others. Usually if I'm having a hard time finding a track, I'll try to find something at least decent and follow that and, a lot of times it'll take you to a bigger one because um, deer go to deer. Right. Um, but the biggest, like, I try to follow really big tracks, and that's for the simple reason of I like big deer, but they're easier to follow because the stagger's much bigger, the hoof is much bigger. So when you have 
a buck come into a group of does, and we call it the barnyard where there's just tracks everywhere. It's a maze. That big buck is a lot easier to follow in and out than a smaller buck. Because if you have a decent-sized buck and you get in with a bunch of big does, that's a hard that's a hard thing to sort out. My dad's much better at it than I am because he has more patience. Usually when I get into that situation, I just run a big circle around. I was going to ask. Catch that, try yeah, to catch yeah. him coming out, and I'm boogieing. Right. But my dad likes to figure all that out. You know, he's more patient than me. Is it like That's what I was going to say. When you get into that b- barnyard for – like, is there, like, a, a way to tear that apart? And, like, how much time are you spending to try and get there? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you spending 25 minutes to try and figure out where he's coming out? Or are you just saying, screw it, like you said, and just try and figure out where he's coming out of it? Oh, there's guys I know that have spent two hours doing it and then literally came out of it and killed the buck 30 yards later. Mm. It's just – and he was in there for two hours doing circles. Sometimes you just get lucky and it, it – there's never – a right or wrong way to do it. It's just preference and luck. You know, you're going to choose to do it one way or the other, and you might get lucky, you might not. Because mm-hmm. um, I could run a circle around it, not see him, and then catch him coming out and, and shoot him. You know, or my dad can mill through there, and he could be in there with a doe, and he could shoot him there. So you never, there's never a right or wrong way to do it. Right. You know, like there's guys that will never leave a track. Like they're going to follow that track to the deer. You have other guys that know where the deer is going because they know the geography and the topography really well. So they have a good idea where this buck's going. So we'll try to leave the track and, like, swing around on them and, and kill them that way. Um, and it's all trial and error. Sometimes right. things work. Sometimes things don't. Is there certain tools that you bring on the track that make you successful or that you wouldn't leave at home? Um, wool. Really? <laughs> wool. Because no matter what, it can be soaking wet, and if you can move – and create body heat, wool will insulate and keep you warm. It, it will save your life. Um, we've all taken a bath in a stream or a swamp track, and, and it's brutal, and the wool will save your life. So wool is one of them. A gun you're confident in is another one because if you're not good and confident, competent with your rifle, it's a, it, it can ruin a good day. Um, other than my wool and my rifle, you can, it's all interchangeable, right. you know, it's preference. Like I wear lacrosse boots. I like, you know, high rubber boots. So I don't have to get soaked to walk through a stream. Um, cause the stream is like trackers kryptonite. Like a lot of guys, that's where they quit. They won't cross it, especially if it's up over their knees. Um, why wouldn't they cross it though? They don't want to get wet and cold. Oh. It's uncomfortable, you know, Right. being uncomfortable turns a lot of people off to a lot of things, you know? Right. So you know, really, like, I always bring a grunt call. I bring water, some some food. I don't really eat a lot when I'm tracking. I'm pretty mission-focused, and my dad, he's got to eat. So when we're hunting together, he'll be like, all right, let's take a break and eat. I'm like, come on. Like, let's go. I just yeah, want to yeah. go, <laughs> you know. But I've slowed down, too. But, you know, there's – I always bring um, waterproof matches, two lighters, fire starter. Um, I try to bring, like, a life straw with me, so – if I run out of water, I can always just suck some out of a stream, um, like a space blanket. Just basic things that pack into a tiny little Ziploc that mm-hmm. I can just I have in my pack. So if something happens and I'm stuck and i got to spend a night in the woods, I'll live. Hmm. You know, you got to have your knife and ammo, that kind of stuff. GPS right. is always good to have. Compass, like I, backup compass? Yeah. I always bring three compasses and a map, paper map, because um, you will have – 
it's very rare, but you know, if you, when you get lost, you get weird and you start to second guess your compass. So you bring out a second one because you'd be like, I swear the truck is this way, the road's this way, and then you know your like compass is wrong. So you bring out a second compass and you match them. If they match, you're good. Mm. If they don't match, now you have a third compass as a tiebreaker. So you do that, and then you know, knowing how to navigate with a compass and a topographic map is like the first skill you should have before you go into big woods. Because I mean, you could get twisted around pretty quick because you're on oh, yeah. the track and you don't have an idea where you're going yeah it all looks the same you know the whole like you go in the adirondacks and it all looks the same it's just big mountains and woods right um so i primarily use onyx and my garmin to navigate usually onyx because it's easy and it's simple and it's right in my phone so you have to download your maps prior yep. to going out there though because you know you don't have no service nope I, I don't have service, but your GPS on your phone will work even when you don't have cell reception. So okay. if you download the maps, you still can use it to navigate. And that's primarily what I use to navigate these days. But I, for years, I only used the map and compass. That was the first thing my dad taught me as a kid. So I always have that if I needed it. Well, phone, phone battery can die, could get wet, drop it in the stream. You're going to want that backup. Yep. I, like, I use Garmin InReach because it's, it's nice because I can communicate with my dad. If something happens to him, you know, he slips and breaks his ankle or something. I know where he is. You got the SOS feature, so that's always good. Um, and that's pretty much what I use that for. Mm -hmm. um, I use Onyx mostly to navigate, but I always have the backup for a compass. So yeah, that Garmin InReaches, they're definitely a, that's a life-saving tool. It is because we use them. We use them on the water, and I use them mm -hmm. in the big woods. And it's it's and the mapping is actually halfway decent. Yeah. I mean, as far, as far as what it is, but the nice thing is, like, if you do have a problem, you can phone home. You know what I'm saying as far as a text message or whatever, and I bet you that's a that's definitely one of those things you probably don't want to leave at home when you go out Yeah, in the woods. it's cool because I, you know, and you can Bluetooth it to your phone, so you could use the EarthMate app that way, or you can just use the inReach, mm -hmm. whatever is easier. Um, and when you kill a buck, you can send a message home. Big, big buck down. Yeah, big <laughs> buck down. yeah and, and you bring up a valid point. Now, now you... Big buck down. Now, if you're 10 miles in, you got to go 10 miles out. Oh, yeah. So what is – what is, like, can you – do you quarter them out? Like, can you do that per in um, New York or even Maine or – Yeah, you can quarter them out. So Maine, like I said, there's logging roads. So generally, you don't have too far of a drag. And this is relative. You know, it might right. be a mile, but that's probably a pretty solid drag, you know, somewhere within a mile. But there's also access. So if there's a lot of snow, it's all logging country, and the paper company doesn't really care. So you can drive your snowmobile up in there and get the deer. Right. Um, you know, on some of the, like, the little roads, that the old skid road, skid trail, um, where you can't really bring a truck. But in the Adirondacks, it's forever wild. So if I'm five miles from the closest road, I'm either quartering it or I'm dragging it. And five miles. Yeah. Like, you know, Jim Massive, ADK Trackers, mm -hmm. he's carried them out for yep. years. Yeah. Throw them on his back, carry them. Um, yeah, that's not <laughs> me. I'll either get help or I'll, you know, I'll drag them, quarter them. If it's really far, like we're doing a remote camp this year, and uh, I bought a Seek Outside tent with a stove and everything, so mm -hmm. I'm going to try that out. But that's about four and a half miles from the road where the tent is. So I could be shooting them six miles from the road, and I'll probably quarter them out and pack them at that point because right. that's far. I mean, I dragged my buck out two years ago. Now it was like a mile and a half, and it was pretty much out of a hole the whole way, just uphill. And oh. I was on bare ground. I tracked him on snow, shot him as the snow was melting, and then dragged him on bare ground out by myself because my dad, my uncle, everybody was up in Maine. And they weren't coming to help you anyways. They would have. Oh, yeah? Yeah. They would have had I uh, 
you know, had they been around. But I did send a message to my brother on the inReach, and he came up and helped me. But by the time we met up, he got all the way up north. He was, I was, had about half a mile left. Mm-hmm. So, but it was, it was a tough drag. And then, but like this year, I helped Neil drag his buck out in the Adirondacks, and that was two and a quarter, almost two and a half miles. So that was on so snow. That one you, went much better. You think that the work, the work is hard as the tracking aspect of knowing that mm. you have to go all the way, all the way, you know, wherever it takes you, but you have to come all the way out. But then when you shoot a deer, now you got to come all the way out. And, and the thing is, the thing with tracking, and, and it's funny to think about, is that, like, you're trying to shoot the biggest deer you can possibly find and <laughs> get it as close as you can to whatever, right? Like, yeah. is, that's a far drag. That's no joke to be – to yeah. be dragging out a deer like that. Uh, it's, it's a far drag. Uh, luckily for us in the Adirondacks, the bodies aren't as big as Maine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, there is a, there is a, a blessing there. But, um, yeah, it can, be, it can be tough, you know. But there's a lot of trails, too. So if you have a deer cart and, you know, it's bare ground, you can bring the mm-hmm. deer cart up the trail, try to get them clo- you know, to the closest trail and cart them out that way. That makes things a lot easier. Snow, they move a lot easier on snow. Right. Um, but, yeah, the way I look at it is if I got to drag a deer out, four miles it's a good problem to have that is a good problem to have yeah what does it matter like it is what it is one thing i do want to ask you is and we talked about it is guns because Mm. what is what is the what do you think your ideal gun is for tracking because everybody kind of probably has their own thing we've talked with you know joe from adk and all those guys and and they have theirs but it sometimes it's speed shooting too. It's not just a one shot and done. They're not always just laying there, standing there. Like they could be on the move. So, what do you think is your ideal tracking gun? Yeah, most of the time you're shooting at deer that are running. That's you know that's why you're not as successful. You know what I mean? Because um, you're constantly hitting sticks and stuff. But everyone has a different preference. I would say anything that you can shoot efficiently and quickly. Um, some guys are really fast with a bolt action. So right. where I think a bolt action slow because I suck with it, somebody else might be really fast. Um, I prefer lever actions. I grew up on levers. I got one over at the booth that I grew up with. That was I've put more rounds through that gun than anything else I've shot combined. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gun is automatic to me. When I, I can close my eyes, pull it up, and it's right there. Uh, and I have different lever actions, different variations, some with scopes, some with iron sights, peep sights you know removable rings because i like to do that so like if i know the weather's going to shift i can have a scope and then when the weather gets bad i can pull it off and then i got iron sights and i don't have to worry about my scope getting all Mm. you know fogged up wet um but generally speaking as the tracking world goes a pump action or a lever action is the way to go some guys use semi-autos like my dad likes semi-autos a lot um but there's a million ways to set them up, and that's actually what our seminar is on this weekend is track and rifle and all the different cartridges, you know, optics, how to set them up, what works for you, what doesn't, how mm-hmm. to make sure it works for you. Right. Um, and that's just, you know. What do you think your favorite cartridge is? Um, probably anything in the 35 caliber range. Okay. Um, like my Marlin is in 35 rem, mm. and that thing is – drop box faster than anything else I've shot them with. And it's a relatively slow moving mm-hmm. bullet and 200 grain doing about 20, 200 feet per second. And it just thumps them. Um, but I have a 358 Winchester that I love. Uh, 35 Whalen's a great one. Mm-hmm. You know, even the new 360 Buckhammer. I mean, the way that they market it, you know, 
kind of makes it sound like 35 rem is obsolete, but they're the same, essentially, just one straight wall. I wish they would market it more as like it's a good alter straight wall alternative to a 35 rem. That would right. be great. Um, but I think that's going to be a that's going to be a hammer. It's going to work good. Um, anything short action, I prefer yeah, short action. Short action, right? And but you're looking for that higher grain bullet too, mm -hmm. right? A little bit heavier because you're not shooting. You're not trying to shoot at very far, right? Yeah. I mean, like most of your shots are. How, what's your distance? You think? I'd say most of your shooting. Uh, tracking and still hunting is within 100 yards right of course um and depending on where you are it's probably much shorter i mean right. there's windows in the adirondacks you can shoot over 100 or 100 yards but generally it's within 40 to 50 right um and usually it's moving <laughs> yeah and you you so you want that not slow but you want that hard hitting heavy bullet yeah i just want something that you know hits them with good good energy you know right i don't like, I want something that penetrates well, so usually I try to stick to, like, a monolithic bullet, like a barn, some, you know, solid mm -hmm. copper, because they don't fragment. Um, but not every gun or cartridge is friendly to, like, a Spitzer bullet, like lever actions. you got to use either a flex tip, like a Hornady, or mm -hmm. you got to use a round nose. Um, but that is, yeah, like, I love a forty-five seventy. anything in the thirty cal. Anything in a 35, you know, anything in there. It doesn't have to be fast. I mean, a 3030 has killed more deer than mm -hmm. anything. Right. That and a 308. Mm -hmm. So, um, like, a 308 is a good mix of weight to speed. It's not super fast. It doesn't kick like, an, like a mule, mm -hmm. you know. And But you can also shoot hundreds of yards. Now what about the Ot 6? Just too long, you think, for um, the action? It depends on what you're shooting it in. Like, in a, in a semi-auto, it doesn't matter. Um in a pump, it doesn't really matter. Lever actions, they're pretty much all short action. I like an OT6, but I always look at it from like a bolt action, bolt action perspective. Um, I've never had too many of those because most of my guns are levers, so you don't really have a lot of long action unless you get like a BLR or the new Long Ranger. Um, but like a bolt action standpoint, I like short action right. just because the bolt throw is shorter. Right. Like, I'm not that great with a bolt action, so I don't want something that I can – I have a – Short stroke. Yeah, if yeah. I short stroke it, I'm having a bad day, and I'm mad. So I have a nice lightweight bolt action I use. It's a Savage, um, and I've tracked with it. It's six and a half pounds with the scope, so it's pretty light. Short 18-inch barrel, you know. I've got some good stuff to it. I had, I had a special order from Savage because they didn't make the one I wanted in left hand. So I called them and was like, hey, can you guys, you guys have a special order shop. Can you build me this gun in left hand? They're like, yep. I'm like, all right. So I want jeweled bolt, oversized bolt knob, cut to barrel, engraved to bolt, you know, mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. So they did that for me. And the price wasn't bad either. So I'm just not that great with a bolt action. I didn't grow up with it as much because I'm a lefty. Ah, mm. and it's probably hard to get a good gun or certain guns in a left-handed. Yeah. I mean, you can get your, you know, your usual more popular, you know, I don't want to say budget rifles, but your standard rifles mm -hmm. you can get in left hand. But anything that's, you know, special for one thing or the other, whether it's, you know, lightweight or whatever, like, you're going to pay a couple grand, you know what I mean, to get it in left hand. It makes it tough. Or they yeah. don't offer it. Like right. A, like a Kimber, you can't get that in the left hand. Right. Um, and to get, like, an ultra light, like, rifle in left hand is, like, three grand, four grand. You got to buy, like, a Weatherby titanium backcountry or you got to buy like one of the nula rifles or you know and it's like 
I don't got that kind of money. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's going to go in to the drag woods. through the mud. Yeah, the mud yeah. And, the, and the ice and the snow, the rain, and yep. you're going to beat it through the trees. I mean, it's... And that's the nice thing about my Savage is it is it's stainless and synthetic. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really have a lot of, like, um, character to it. Not a lot of emotion with that gun, but it is a tool, and it works yeah. right. every time. We were talking to the guys from Ruger yesterday. They were doing, like, a survey because it was their engineering department. Yep. They're, I guess they're designing a new bolt gun, and I, I told them the same thing. I was like, listen, Woodstock guns are beautiful. They look great in the grip and grin pictures. They're classy looking. They have character, but give me composite because I'm going to beat the shit out of it, and they don't scratch. Right. The weather's good with them. Like, you can keep the wood. I don't I don't care what it looks like, you know? Yep. Like, uh, my, uh, my Marlin... My dad redid the stocks on it forever ago because those, like, 70s, 80s Marlins, I mean, the JM Marlins are great, but they had, like, that Marsh Shield wood finish on them, and, like, it just doesn't last. So he redid the stocks before they got bad and uh, really sealed them up good. Like, he went, like, way overboard with it. So it's pretty durable to, you know, rain and being wet and all that. Um, But, like, my browning last year, I spent, like, three days straight just soaked ice all over the gun pouring rain mm-hmm. and by the, the end of the third day i could see where the forend was starting to swell a little bit you know so i had to have it sent out and sanded down and cleaned up and resealed so now it's all sealed up good but that can affect accuracy too maybe not at that 40 50 yard mark like you're talking about but you know that wood swells up and puts a little pressure on the barrel and it can it yeah. can throw a shot off by several inches yep and that 358 i mean that's solid for 300 yards and mm. 300 yards is, you know little difference is a big difference yeah so you know i mean i've never the farthest i've shot a deer was like 110 yards and i was out of a tree stand like farthest i've ever killed one on my feet is probably 80 with a peep sight really <laughs> yeah that was kind of a hail mary more than anything else i just got lucky but and a lot of it's offhand shooting. You're not taking yeah. time to rest up against a tree or kneel or anything like that. Like a lot of it is. Yeah, a lot of it's offhand. I mean, if I'm if I'm on my feet and I catch one walking, you know, I'll try to, you know, find the closest tree, get my forearm up against it, just a little brace, because it does help. But ever since I was a little kid, we go to the range, and I would usually take a couple off the bench or a good rest just to, you know, work out the cobwebs and warm up a little bit and then we'd stand I'd, you know have the safety on or the hammers on half cock or whatever and as i pulled the gun up i'd cock the hammer and i would just shoot 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 and that would you know it builds you that muscle memory of how the action works how the gun feels you know the way you're standing everything in shooting and it just builds that kind of muscle memory and confidence so shooting offhand you know Honestly, I do better at something moving. Like when we have the moving <laughs> targets, because yeah. you can swing with it, it's just smoother. But when you're mm-hmm. trying to like shoot, catch the recoil, and you know realign it where you want, and it's like I'd rather shoot at a moving target. Mm-hmm. And you're practicing, like like you just said, moving targets. You're practicing like those scenarios at the range, also. Yeah, yep. We have moving targets and uh, different designs for them that we've used over the years from tires rolling down hills and. We had two posts with, like, an old ice auger motor and a cable with targets, and the thing would come whip around. It was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. We'd shoot it, and, you know, you'd shoot back and forth two different targets. It was, it was a blast. And, uh, but, you know, generally that first shot I can make count good, and then after that the deer's running. So then it's just reload, and then you're just shooting. <laughs> Try you know. to put more holes in them. Yeah. Try That's to make the first one count, and yeah. then, you know, after that. 
as long as he ain't if he's not running if he's running just try to get him in the sight picture and just start letting him fly because like put up a lead fence <laughs> yeah exactly just let the just spray and pray just spray and pray <laughs> that's like steve shooting coyotes at night he just he just sprays and prays <laughs> you never know only takes one it, <laughs> it does only take it's one fucking rain and hell on <laughs> Uh, That's the way to do it. Yep. Well, man, I, it's been a great podcast, but I do have one last question, and we ask all of our guests this is, is what drives you outdoors? What drives me? Hmm. Probably uh, the challenge. It's the challenge. I mean, I like, I like being, you know, having space and just being in the woods because it's beautiful, but I like the challenge. That's why, that's why I track, you know, and hunting the big woods is because I find it to be the most difficult way to hunt. It's the most effective, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Like, what other way can you hunt and almost guarantee you're going to have a chance at a big buck every day? If I'm on snow and I, fi- I can find a big buck track almost, you know, every day or every other day, and if I'm on a big buck track, I have a chance to kill him. So it's really effective, but it's really difficult on you physically and mentally. I think the mental game is the hardest thing because you can do everything right and still not get that buck. So... No matter what, you just got to stay positive. And but in that mental game, like you can really tear yourself up. Oh yeah, yeah. You can you can be ready to quit, be second guessing everything that you did that day. Why am I even here? I just want to go back to the truck. And if you make the decision, you know what? I'm going to stick with it. You could kill that buck five minutes later. You, you never know, right? So just you got to stay positive. You can't let your mind wander. Two mm-hmm. o'clock, you can't be thinking about your truck and co- cup of coffee and. You want to just be ready to go. And it's cold. It's miserable. <laughs> you're tired. Yeah, it's cold, but you're sweating <laughs> yeah. and you're exhausted. I know we're trying to wrap this up, but I just thought of this. When you're on a track and you're getting close to the end of the day, mm-hmm. are you peeling off and working your ba- way back to the truck as you're losing shooting light, or will you stay on a track until closing time and then walk all the way back in the dark? Like, Do you, do you draw the line at a certain point, or will you follow that track right until you run out of time? It depends on the track. Um, and it depends on like what he's doing. So if I feel like I'm getting close and I can catch him before dark, if there's even a remote chance I'll catch him before dark, I'll hunt till dark. Right. Um, but if I bump him at four o'clock, you know, then, and he's just lighting out, I'll still follow him for a little bit and see if he slows down quick, but usually he's just their motor. And especially if it's four o'clock and you already bumped him once or twice, he's probably starting to catch on to something's chasing him and he's gone. Right. And a lot of the time, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the times when they get to go and a lot of those big mature bucks will actually come back on the track to see what you are, right? Yeah, they'll, they'll backtrack or what they'll do is they'll, they'll run up and they'll wait. And they'll run about 200 yards and they'll stop and they'll look back. And then that's why, like, Hal always talks about the half hour rule. You want to wait a half hour. If you bump a buck, wait a half hour. Because they'll run up, and they don't have a real good concept of time, so they'll run up, they'll stop, and they'll look at the backtrack and – wait for whatever's chasing them to see if it's following well if you give it in that half hour they'll wait 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 you're not coming then they might keep on wandering especially late season i've seen them run stop walk 50 yards bed down Mm. so you don't wait you just come poking along that buck's gone gone because now he knows there's something behind him yep after half an hour they start to calm down yeah let them calm down a little bit you know and some bucks are in real spooky areas where there's a lot of coyotes a lot of pressure from predators where sometimes it'll be 45 minutes where I've had them. I've waited a good half hour, and I still bump them. And I'm like, I think we're just sitting here for half an hour. And they will, you know. So 
They're creatures. You never yeah. know what they're going to do. Yeah, they're unpredictable. Right. Absolutely. Well, man, we really appreciate you jumping on the podcast. It was an absolute blast. Um, can you just tell everybody where they can kind of find you, maybe social media or Big Bucks or Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you can get a hold of me on Facebook. I'm always on there. It's Austin Sheeran. Um, you can go on Instagram, message me there. I don't usually post a ton, but you, know, you can always get me a message there. That's uh, the Mountain Badger. The mountain nice, badger. I like Ooh. it. So, yeah, that's a good one. Either one of those, I'm always willing to talk, um, give any advice if I can, talk about guns, ammo, what, gear, whatever. I don't care. Just talk about deer hunting. Absolutely. I'm just happy for it. So, Well, awesome. We appreciate you jumping on, man. Hopefully there's something in the future. You know, we got the little tails from the tailgate. I think a tracking one would kind of be kind of cool. <laughs> we'll put that in the works. And for everyone else, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive.